We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm just going to read Luke's account of the birth of Christ and how it was foretold. Now starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Yeah, don't be afraid. I I mean, anyway, okay. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. One of the things that has come up and you've heard and we have addressed and we know ourselves and I know myself is that we love to be in control, right? We want things to go our way. We want to dictate how things flow, when they happen, how they happen. It's a struggle that we all have. And we do this with God too, you know. We do this a lot with God, probably more than we want to admit. We want to call the shots and decide how God will do things in our life, and more specifically, how God will use us in our lives. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that we do very often is that we use God instead of letting God use us. No, that's not me. Yes, we all do that in some way, in some dynamic in our lives. We want to, we use God instead of letting Him use us. There's no question about that. I admit, we we can find those parts of our lives and moments in our lives when we do that. And the result is, when when we live that way, when we, you see, when we do that, we put limits on God. We put limits on what God can do in us and what he can do through us when we do that. And when you do that, it it creates and it results in a shallow Christian spirituality. You don't see great things because you can keep God tame as long as you can tell him what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Now, in our gospel account here, Luke records for us the example of Mary who decided to let God use her instead of just Using him, if you will. She was fully open to him and became an instrument in his hands. I know it's a cold word, that word instrument. But it's that vessel, it's that person through which God can can move in, do his work, and do his work through by his power. And before we understand how he did that, I want to clear up a couple things about Mary real quick. First of all, we, we can 
run into this, this trap, or not a trap, but this tendency some people have, that there could be this overemphasized Mary that they have, this view of Mary they have. See, some segments of faith attempt to overemphasize Mary's role in the world. She gets more attention than Jesus for some people. And even is called by many people as the mother of God, which is quite blasphemous. Or worse, she's the co-redeemer, redemptrix. That's even more blasphemous. She is neither. She was a woman saved by grace. She wasn't virgin born and she died a death just like any other human being. She was a human, a woman living in Nazareth. And you can overemphasize Mary and make her what she isn't. And some have unfortunately even gone to the point that they have, some, not I'm saying all, but there are some who even worship her. But then you're on the other side. And we, we have, we're guilty of this as evangelicals, as Protestants, and, and, and if you want to call us that, and whatever label you want to throw, there's so many labels, now I'm sick of labels. You know? But we can underemphasize Mary. We can do that as well. Many, in reaction to the overemphasized Mary, we underemphasize her role and we just leave her out of the gospel story altogether or just downplay and don't even mention her much. There has to be a balance, my friends. There has to be a balance. She was a godly woman. No question. She was a teenager as well. You know, I'm using this loosely here, but without a clue, really, when you think about it. But she was ready for God's supernatural work. That's what makes her so amazing. And someone that we should look up to. And there's someone that we should emulate. When we look at some of her qualities and characteristics, we need to want to be like Mary because she's the one that God used to usher in redemption for all people on this earth. Now, there's an interesting fact to shore up the credibility of this scriptural record. I find it fascinating. Maybe I'm on my own little thing, but I want to share with you because it it just, I love this. And I love how powerful and how amazing God's word is. From the beginning to the end, it is truth, it is powerful, it is awesome. Now Luke records that Mary, a virgin, would be pregnant without a man being involved. That's crazy! Am I the only one? You're all looking at me like you're not surprised. Like, whoa, okay, yeah, that, that's okay. It does, that doesn't happen. That's not natural. That's not normal. That's absurd. It's crazy to the natural mind. And, and, and to, to science and biology, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. There has to be someone, a man involved. On some level, it has to happen. And you have Luke here. Think about this. Think about how crazy this announcement is. He knew he was a doctor. Luke was a doctor. He knew all about the facts about childbearing and birthing and so on and so forth. And he has no slouch to make sure that his information is accurate when he writes this down. I'll prove it to you. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, this is what Luke writes. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. You don't think Luke, who was a doctor, didn't want to investigate and do research? You don't think he asked Mary more than, wait, come again, what did you, what? Wait, an angel came and, wait, you got pregnant, what, how? What, what are you talking about? What happened? And Gabriel spoke to you, and, and then he went again next week. And what? Wait, I mean, before I document this, what did you say? He did his due diligence. He went and he investigated. He wanted to make sure. And how amazing and how powerful, just the genius of God, that he uses Luke the doctor to record this, the one of the two gospel writers who wrote the, the, about the birth of Jesus, and he documents this as a doctor, that there's a woman who conceived without a man involved. It's awesome. I'm sorry, I'm the only one excited. I think it's so cool that it's God that did that. I'm sorry, but it is. Where is the enthusiasm? Where is the joy in all this? The beauty of how awesome that is. It really is when you think about it. And Luke writes this for us, and he shows us four quick things about how that Mary shows us that, that of how and when God works through people in powerful, miraculous ways. Four things about Mary. That we've got to learn of how and when God works through people in powerful, miraculous ways. First of all, in verse 28 to 30, God uses people only by His grace. Now, I don't know why God called Mary and chose Mary. Why didn't He go to Jane? Was there even a Jane in Nazareth? I don't know. Why didn't he go to someone else? He went to Mary because of his grace, his choosing, and he's God, and he could do what he wants. And numerous times in this passage, the angel says that Mary is the object of God's favor, his grace. And that word refers to that gracious choosing of a person in Scripture. Mary was a sinner saved by grace, chosen by God. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says this about Christians and about himself and the, and the apostles. He says, but we have this treasure, that treasure being the gospel, in earthen vessels. They're fragile, right? They're not eternal. They don't last forever. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When we testify of God's grace, we're giving him the glory and letting people see him as preeminent, the superior, the ultimate authority, and not us. It's all by God's grace. God uses people by his grace. God initiates something miraculous to happen because his grace reaches out and is poured out on somebody he chooses. In fact, he has, if you're a believer, chosen all of us, and we'll get to that at the end. God uses people only by His grace. Secondly, God uses people who are humble. People who are humble. Mary's humility was evidenced by at least three qualities that we ought to possess as well, and we can find in her life. There are many others, but I'm just pointing out these three. First of all, she was faithful. Then she was available, and then she was teachable. Those things are really important to be used by God and to have God work in and through your life. She was faithful in being ready to take up this assignment the Holy Spirit had for her. The Bible points out three times in this passage 
that she was a virgin. On the theological side, this was to testify to the impeccability of Jesus' divine nature. Like that word? Impeccability. I don't use that very often, but, but it's true. It, the fact that she was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit shows that he was fully God. It's part of his deity, right? And then on the practical side, it lets us know that Mary was ready for this specific assignment in the physical, that this God-man, that Jesus, the Son of God, would be human and he would be born in Bethlehem, physically born of Mary, from Mary. That's an amazing thing. And so she's faithful, but she's also available. When God spoke to her, she didn't say, nope. I don't know how you could if an angel appeared to you and started talking to you. I mean, have fun being like, yeah, right. I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but you would be blown away. You would be so humbled. You would be so in that place. And you would make yourself available. You would listen to what's being said. And she didn't demand even more evidence in a sense. She was simply ready for the assignment because verse 38, she says, let it be as you said. Let it be. Let it be. Her words remind me of Simon the fisherman. And in your Bible, a few pages down in chapter 5 in Luke's gospel, before he was Peter, Simon's the fisherman and he's out with his fellow fishermen and dudes and they're all fishing and They fished all night and they caught nothing and they're on the banks and then Jesus is there. But when Jesus told them to go out into the deep water and put down their nets, Simon didn't say to Jesus, you're uninformed. Who who are you? I mean, you're uninformed. Are you even a fisherman? You have no experience as a fisherman. And you're telling me to go back out in the deep water during the daytime, drop my nets and I'm going to catch fish. You're nuts. He didn't say that. No. Do you know what he said? You can read it for yourself. This is what he says. And I'm paraphrasing. Because you said so, I'll do it. It's there. Because you said so, I'll do it. We sang a great line in one of the songs called Promises in our our worship this morning through song. We said, let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Oh God, help us to learn that. That when God speaks a word, it will come to pass. And we have all kinds of words right here. We have all kinds of promises. And they will come to pass. As a people of God and as a person of God, a child of God, it will come to pass in your life. God uses people who are humble because they're faithful, available, and lastly, they're teachable. Do you notice how, I'm being careful how I use this word, but... She quietly and obediently listens to the Lord's messenger. I mean, she's not, she's not, I'm thinking of our Sunday school class. She's not breaking out into civil disobedience. She, she's, she's actually just listening. And she, and, but she does ask nicely and humbly because she's teachable and wants to know. She says, how in the world is this going to happen? But she doesn't interject her own opinion of things. She simply lets God have his way. And to sum it up, James tells us something really powerful about God using people who are humble. In chapter 4 and verse 6 in his epistle, he says this up. He says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What about Saul? 
who became Paul. Oh, he was proud and arrogant and full of himself and his intellect. I mean, he knew it all. He had authority. And on that road to Damascus, what did God do? God humbled him. Did God not humble him? God humbled him. He was blind. He had to get prayed for and things like scales fall off his eyes. He had to be in hiding for a while and spend time in the wilderness. God humbled him and taught him. And when he was ready and he was humbled and he was submitted fully to everything Jesus or God wanted for him, that he becomes the apostle who is appointed and ready to go and prepared. And he's out. But he was humbled. God uses the humble. And Paul was used powerfully. Powerfully. So God uses only people by His grace. He uses people who are humble. And Mary teaches us also that God uses people by His great power. Not our power. Not our own power. Not some idea. Verse 35 and 37 tell us this. Because Mary, again, she asks how this miraculous birth of Jesus is supposed to happen. (laughs) It's a natural question when you consider her virginity, isn't it? And God's answer is clear. God's answer is clear. And it's got three parts. This is what he says. The Holy Spirit will accomplish it supernaturally. Secondly, he says, the power of God will overcome the laws of nature. That's what the Holy Spirit does in this case. And thirdly, all the world will testify of God's power. Power, power, power. It's power. The Holy Spirit, it's God. And then the messenger, this angel, gives Mary the testimony of what happened in Elizabeth's life. The mother of John the Baptist. Do you remember? This is, this is Mary's relative. And some believe in the, old, the King James Version actually says it was her cousin. There's some debate about that, but she was a relative. She too has experienced a miracle by the power of God because of His grace. Remember, in the sermon just a couple of weeks ago, after Thanksgiving weekend, we heard how powerful our testimonies could be. And some shared them, especially in first service. Well, that's what we have going on here. The angel is actually testifying what God did for Elizabeth in her old age when she was past childbearing years. And he He's reminding her that God would do it for her by His power and will as well. God is building faith in Mary through this messenger. And in verse 37, the angel simply says, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Remember the verse from earlier that I referenced that Paul wrote to the Corinthians? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the Power may be of God and not of us. If you're wondering how it is that God is supposed to use you, just remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much, much fruit. For without me, you can do the impossible. Are you awake? For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Not, well, you can't do anything that's good or that's, that's glorious or praiseworthy or for the glory of God. Without, you can't do it without Jesus. God uses people by His great power, not their power and ability. And fourthly and lastly, we learn from Mary that God uses people 
for his own purposes. God, God always has his own reasons for using people. Yeah, even you and me. And that should be humbling to think about that. He, but the thing about God is, is that he is never obligated to tell us his purposes, and his purposes are sometimes past finding out. The Psalms tell us that, and the prophet Isaiah tells us that, that God's thoughts, his ways are higher and greater and beyond ours. He just thinks differently because, well, he is wisdom. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere at once. What else do I need to add? He's God Almighty. But we do, we do get an insight into two of God's greatest purposes as they are revealed to Mary. Oh, this is awesome. God always uses people for his own purposes, not their agendas, not what they want, not how they want to go about it, but God does it by his grace. Who People who are humble, he does it through his power for his own purpose, not people's purpose. First, in verse 31 to 33, God used Mary to birth Jesus to save others. There's a purpose if we ever heard one. God used this birth to save others. Why Mary, as I mentioned earlier? Who knows, but God. What we do know is that God selected her for the purpose of being the incubator for the Messiah so that all the world might trust him and be saved. God does things in our lives as well so that others might be saved. It is about other people. It is about the gospel. It is about Christ. It is about salvation through him. It is about eternal life, the gift of eternal life, and that through Christ. The second purpose that we see here is that God used Mary so that he would receive the glory. Verse 46 to 56, and I will not read you can reference and you can read when you go home and throughout this week. The Magnificat, that, that, that song of praise that Mary raised to God. It is powerful. It is awesome. There is so much there. It's amazing. And don't try to spiritualize everything in there. There's a lot of things that are quite literally, that are literal in there and even for her time. And they would be offensive to religious leaders and to powerful people, what she says there. It's, it's really cool. In her, it is a song of praise to God. And the first stanza gives, gives all the glory to God for saving her and using her. And then the remainder of the song gives glory to God for coming to the rescue of his people. Man, that's, that's like the summary of, of History of God's story with humanity. That he has a plan of redemption to save people. And that God's using Mary by his grace. And his purpose for that is to save others so that he would also get all the glory because he deserves all the glory and he's the only God and all glory belongs to him. What powerful things we can learn from Mary in our lives. Are you ready to see God do the impossible and to be used by Him for His glory. How will you respond to what He has done for you and His desire to use you as He has made you and as He's making you for His glory? 
But here's, here's the thing. Maybe there's a little bit of an issue here because we have questions, don't we? And the first one might simply be this. But God, how? Or maybe you say, I can't. Or it's impossible. Those are deadly words. I can't. It's impossible. Because think about it. If you are doing something competitively and you line up before your competition and you're next to your competition and you get up and you're starting that competition and you say, I can't, the truth is you won't. You won't. We know this from personal experience. I can't. It's deadly. It's all over. It's impossible. It's over then before you even started. Maybe, maybe you're saying, saying these more specifically. We're coming to a close. It's impossible for me to live in this relationship. Really? Really? Where was God's grace? to put you in that relationship, to give you that husband or that wife. Where was God? Hasn't he empowered you? Doesn't he? Why don't you keep, why don't you humble yourself and then you'll see God's power working in you. Why don't you do that? And it's for his glory, not for your agenda, not for someone else's agenda. It's impossible for me to live in this relationship. Well, then then you won't. You won't. I can't surrender my life to Jesus because... And then you fill in the blanks because you know what that might be. I can't give up, my friends, for Christ, even though they are bad influences or they're involved with everything that endorses all those things that are opposed to everything that is godly. I can't put the Lord first in everything in my life because if I do, then Jesus may interfere with my business practices. Oh. I can't go into all the world. Let's backtrack. Forget all the world for some of us. I can't go to my neighbor because I'm afraid that they will not like me if I ask them about their relationship with Jesus. I can't get involved in ministries at the church and use my gifts and skills because they, there aren't any that meet when I'm available. And excuses and questions. And, and individually, these are some of the things that we say. But think about this. Think about this. Above all else. And if you really think about it and of it, here's an even greater impossibility that sinful men could come to God. Then here's Mary. It's impossible. But then there's Mary. That God wants to use because of His grace and she's humble and she's relying on His power and she knows that it's for God's purposes that others will be saved. She is the way that God will bring salvation to planet Earth. Unless God changes someone's heart, they will never come to God. We know that. For we, the Bible tells us we are born in sin. We're enemies of God. We're hostile to Him. We have no interest in God. Maybe curiosity. We no taste for Him. No desire for Him. 
We're born loving darkness. We love sin. We hate the light. No one is good. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and gone their own way. I've gone my own way. It is impossible for us, the Bible teaches, in our natural sinful state to come to God. But wait a minute. Nothing is impossible with God. He changes the hearts of those who despise Him. He gives saving faith to those who don't believe in Him. He causes those who have love, who love sin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He makes the proud humble. He washes filthy sinners clean and clothes them with the righteousness of Christ. He makes those who disdain Him long for Him with a pure and holy passion. For nothing will be impossible with God. He chooses to give grace to to save and to enable for His purposes. And so this morning, be like Mary. Humble yourself. Take Him at His word. We already have so much of it that we don't take. And see what God will do through you. Because nothing is impossible. Some of you are thinking, man, my, my long lost family member, they're so far gone, it's impossible they could ever know Jesus. Nothing is impossible for God. It's God's grace. It's your humility. It's his power through you. And it's God's purposes. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Amen. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, seal and help us, Lord, to hide these, these things in our heart, Lord, that we might emulate Mary, that we would have her characteristics and traits, and that we would just rely on your power, God, and to know that your purposes are grand. And within that purpose, you want to use us as your children. God, that we who are of this royal priesthood, as the Apostle Peter tells us, we have that responsibility, as Paul says, to be ambassadors for you. Lord, let your grace and your power flow through us to others, that they too might know salvation and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Be like Mary. Amen.